3. Last week, we listened as John continued to write on the topic of having joy, retaining joy, or reclaiming joy for the life of a Christian. We heard John say, what you have heard from the beginning must remain in you. And that, what John was speaking of was the fact that Jesus was God come in human flesh. We learned that many who once believed uh, this had, had left the faith to follow cults or had gone back to following cults as they had prior to professing Christ uh, as their Savior. We learned that their leaving was proof that Jesus was never real to them to begin with. That they were just doing what was popular at the given time. But when troubled times came, they left Jesus. Paul then gave a sermon concerning remaining in Christ that closely resembled what Jesus himself had preached to the apostles about biding in him in the upper room right before he was killed. We learned that our joy is sustained through our willingness to abide or remain in Jesus all of our life. That joy will diminish or be gone when we do not abide or remain in Jesus. Tonight, John compels his readers to remember. To remember. So we're going to see what it is that we need to remember. John chapter 3, we're going to start reading in verse 1. John 3 verse 1. And John records, he says, Look at how great a love the Father has given us, that we should be called God's children. And we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it didn't know him. Dear friends, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet been revealed. We know that when he appears, we will be like him, because we will see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope is, is in him, purifies himself just as he is pure. Everyone who commits sin also breaks the law. Sin is the breaking of the law. You know that he, he was revealed so that, that he might, uh, might take, away our, take away sins, and there is no sins in him. Everyone who remains in him does not sin. Everyone who sins has not, been, has not seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. The one who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. The one who commits sin is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. The Son of God has revealed, uh, uh, has revealed for, uh, for this purpose to destroy the devil's works. Everyone who has been born of God does not sin because his seed remains in him. He is not able to sin because he has been born of God. This is how God's children and the devil's children are made evident. Let's pray. Father, we come to you again asking forgiveness for our sins, and we thank you for allowing all these who've come tonight to hear a word from you. Lord, we pray that we do hear a word from you, that we'll, we'll have a, a greater explanation of what's taking place in this book, that we might be greater servants for you. In Jesus' name we do pray. And all God's children said, amen. amen. Now, I, I don't know, I mean, those of you who have been through this study the whole time, uh, what John says in chapter 1 it, and what John is saying tonight, it seems to be contradicting itself. 
Uh, I mean, you, you have to be a student. You have to look into the Word of God. You have to have resources that you can better understand because really and truly for a person to take this Scripture and what he, has said, what he says in, in John chapter 1 uh, and try to put them side by side, they just they don't match. It'd be like a positive and a negative uh, battery or, or magnet, and they just repel each other. It just it doesn't make sense. So uh, we're going to try and make sense of it tonight. Amen? All right, good. So what do we see in our Scripture tonight? Now, remembering that John's major theme in this, this letter is joy, uh, he now reminds us <clears throat> of who we are. Do y'all do know who you are? Do you really know who you are? Now, I ask that because, listen, the, the thought once meant more than it means in our day. Who, who are you? It used to mean something to us, especially men. Men used to take great pride in who they are. There was once a time when, when people, families, took great pride in their names and their last names, what the family name meant. Now, I, I do remember a time uh, in my life, my Uncle Jerry telling me several times growing up that I was the only Waddell boy to carry on the name. He would say, remember who you are. Remember where your family came from and be proud of your heritage. I'll never forget walking around our, uh, the, our, hometown, our family's hometown of Tabor City, North Carolina, and my uncles introducing me to people that they knew walking up and down the street as, as this is the last of the Waddells. Our family name could stop with me and pointing at me. No pressure there, right? No, no pressure. First child comes and it's a girl. You know, second child comes, and it's a boy, and I cried because it was a boy. I wanted another girl. I didn't care about that family thing, right? So th there was a time when we took great pr pride in, in this, and I'm afraid that, that that day is gone. And it seems as if the pride of the name of who you were, John is, is kind of fighting against that in his time as well. So everything that we see in Scripture it seems like it just makes a complete circle over and over and over again. Over and over and over. Because we deal with the same. We're dealing with so many things that the men of the Scripture of that day were dealing with. Have y'all noticed that? It's still just as relevant to us. It's probably more relevant to us because we're closer to the time of Christ's return. Church, John does not seem to be building on the topic. You know, a lot of times the writers will they'll, they'll start here and they'll, they'll move to another level and then they'll move to another level and then they'll crescendo, they'll, they'll knock your feet out from under you. John doesn't seem to be building on this topic really at all. This topic of, of us being God's children, as he goes straight to the heart of the matter with the very first sentence in verse 1 saying this, he says, look at how great a love the Father has given us. Y'all might want to underline that. Let me read it again. He says, look at how great a love the Father has given us. Church, we need to look at this love. We totally underestimate this love, church. Look at how great a love the Father has for us. Do y'all understand that love? You know, I've, I've talked about this many times, but I mean, do you understand that love? You, you look, Trey, at the love that you have for Maggie and Maggie, the love that you have for Trey and, and whoever you're sitting next to, whether it's your wife. I mean, listen, you think about the love that you have for, for, for each other and that love pales in comparison. Not only that, without the love from God, you couldn't experience the love that you have for the ones you say you love. 
It's mind-boggling to understand what John is trying to relate here this evening. Again, he says, look at how great a love the Father has just given us. What did y'all do to receive it? What is it that you, you've done to deserve it? I mean, what happened was we saw ourselves in need of a Savior, and we'll get to that here in, here in a few minutes. And when we saw that we needed a Savior, we cried out to who? To Jesus. And when we accepted Jesus as our personal Savior, listen, I, I couldn't see it right then. I couldn't see it, you know, a week from then. I, I could, might not have even been able to see it a month or two months from then. But God was building a love inside of me that I didn't understand. I was able to love people I couldn't stand, church. People who had done me wrong, who had, who had done me dirty. I, I could now love them, and I, I still don't understand it. All I can do is point back to Jesus. That's a, an unbelievable love. And he, he gave that love to us. We didn't, we didn't earn it. We didn't pay for it. He gave us this love. Now, John then, uh, John does seem to, uh, excuse me, throughout this, this mystical and mysterious love that, that, that we can feel from God, yet we cannot really explain it to its deepest depths. John tells us that God loves us, and it's, his love is so true that we are called something extraordinary. Do you know what we're called? God's children. God, God's children. Do you know what that means? Do you all understand what that means? Most of us have children. Y'all, my children have done some really stupid things in, in their, their lives. My, my children are now 23, 25, and 27. And you would think because they're preacher kids, they'd be perfect, right? But I, I want to I tell you something. If, if my children would have done to you what they had done to their mama and dad at, at times, y'all would write them off. Really? You ain't going to talk to me that way. You're not going to call me that. You're, you're not going to tell that to me. And you, you have that luxury. You, you do. I mean, you don't have to put up. I don't have to, how many times have you said that? I don't have to put up with this. But when you're the parent, guess what you do? You, you do. You put up with it. And, and I, I mean, as, as, I, as I said and I studied, we're children of God. The depths of God's love. He calls us his children. Do y'all do understand what that means? It doesn't matter what we do, he's still going to love us. Now that shouldn't give us a license to sin, but he calls us his children. Uh, again, listen, if, if my children were to, to call you in the middle of the night and say, look, I, I've, I've done this or I've done that, or you need to come bail me out, you're just like, listen, dude, I don't know who you are. I don't, I don't have to deal with you, and you don't. But you as a parent, guess what you do? Why? Because you have a love for them. You, you have this hope inside of you that God gives you that they're, they're going to they're gonna make a change. They're, they're going to turn to God. They're going to turn their lives around. And listen, that's only, a, that's only a, a parent can do that. Do you understand? And God calls us His children. He has that hope for us. What have we done to deserve that hope? In all honesty, I mean, God should treat us 
He should treat us just like, you know, okay, that's strike one. You know, I've told you, I've given you a book, I've given you a manual, I mean, you've you've got it, I mean, don't do it again, strike one. Okay, look, that, that, that that was pretty bad. I can't believe you did that, especially after the warning, that's strike two. And then when we cross the threshold, we're talking about God here, strike three, God says, you're out, you're gone. I mean, that's what we think of when we look and, and we, we look at the Old Testament of how God dealt with, with, with the Hebrew children and with the, the nations of the world. That's not how God deals with us. That's not how God treats us. He treats us as we're his children because we are his children. It's undeserved, unmerited love, mercy, and grace. Anybody want to stand up and try to explain that? But he calls us his children. That's unbelievable. And John's just bringing it to our, 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 to our attention. John then tells us why it is that the world does not know us. Y'all get this. This is kind of a tongue twister. Y'all hold on for just a second. How, why the world can't identify or understand us. It's because of this love that God has for us. This unconditional love that he has for us as his children. Apart from the love of God, man cannot understand what love, even in its simplest forms, is. Y'all get that, right? They can't. You think about all the lost people in the world, the vast majority of people in this world, they're lost. They can't understand or conceptualize this love that God has for us. This love is the essence of our joy And it's the object of scorn for the lost world because they do not understand this love. Now here's my example. Y'all hold on. A great example of this, this love is this. When a person sins or is caught in a sinful lifestyle, a popular Christian response is we hate the sin but love the sinner. That's what we say, right? We hate the sin, but we love the sinner. This is true and always will be. But what we, we, but what we not only say, but in what we practice, it should be. But the lost world does not see this as a practice of love at all. They consider this uh, a saying as being judgmental. The lost world looks past our love for the sinner and only sees our hatred of the sin because they do not have the love of God in them. They can't understand. Even when we're trying to be compassionate and they ask us what we think, what we feel, and and, I mean, that's an easy answer. And I'm not telling you not to give the easy answer by saying, you know, God, God hates the sin, but he loves the sinner. He loves you. They see that as so judgmental by us because they don't understand the true nature of God's love. And I hope that'll help you when days come, when you try to talk to somebody, when they do ask you the hard questions, and you do give them that answer. The sad truth is, until they're saved, they're always going to be judgmental towards us. And it's sad But it's the truth. It's the truth. John then tells us why it is the world does not know us. And they can't identify. John then gives us another mystery to unravel in verse 2. Look at verse 2. He says, Dear friends, we are God's 
children now. And what we will be has not yet been revealed. We know that when He appears, we will be like Him because we will see Him as He is. Now, because we are the essence of God's love, He loves us as His children. And we are His children. Now, when He comes for us, we will be like Him. What does this mean? That we'll be like Him. Be like Him. Church, I'm going to tell you. I don't know. But I like it. I don't know, Miss Dale, what it's going to be like to be like Him. But I like it. Church, I know who I am. I live with myself every day. The longer I live with myself in light of the Word, word of God, I, I don't like me. Can anybody relate? I, I don't like me. But I love God. As I look across the vast horizon of time and, and recall all the great men and women who have walked the face of this earth, as I ponder all the unimaginable accomplishments people have made on this earth, not only in our nation but on this earth, the contributions to, to our societies, even as I think of, of some of the greatest preachers, pastors, and soul winners this world has ever seen, those faces pale in comparison to God. I don't want to be like any other man. I want to be like God. Every other standard is way down here. He, he says we're going to be like him when we see him. Okay, that's what I want to be. I want to be like him. John then says, anyone who has this hope in him, God, purifies himself just as he is pure. This hope. What does John mean when, when he says this hope? The hope that when we see God, we will be like him. Now, when do we do this? When we conceptualize this truth. When we look forward to, to knowing it's actually going to happen. We purify ourselves just as God is pure. This whole thought that, that of cleansing or, or cleaning, washing away. Church, this is a tool given to us by God. When we sin, when we are in a struggle, as those who are John is speaking of tonight are struggling, we can remember that we're going to be just like God one day, and it will refresh our minds. Brother Kyle, how does it work? I, I don't know, but I know it does. When you're struggling... When, when you're, you're having a bad day, when you're, when you're just having a bad time, when you're having, you know, you know, just unbelievable problems in your life, if you'll recall this, whew, this is horrible right now, but one day I'm going to be just like God. <laughs> this, this struggle is so, I mean, it's, it's horrible, it's driving me crazy, it's sucking me dry spiritually, but one day, I'm going to be just like God. Now, I'm not telling you are going to be gods. There are denominations. There are cults. The Mormons will tell you that you, you are going to be a god one day. I'm not telling you that. You are going to be just like God. 
That's refreshing. That's cleansing. Listen, that, that's a baptism after baptizing. Amen? It's refreshing. It's a cold glass of sweetened lemonade in the hot of the de desert sun. It will refresh you. It's a good word. John then speaks openly uh, again about defiant sin against God in verses 4 through 9. Now, we, we know from previous studies that, that we are not able to reach a point of sinless perfection. Y'all know that, right? I, 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 we've got some brothers and sisters in the charismatic movement who they overlook the first chapter of, of John and go straight to these verses and they say, I don't sin anymore. I, 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 you know, I, the last time I sinned was back in 1986. And that's just not true. That's not what John is saying. John's not saying, talking about sinless perfection here uh, on this earth. What John points to are the sins that are considered the original sins, the Ten Commandments, the laws of God. We are not under the law today. We are under what? We are under grace. But we should not use this grace to break the laws of God. Church, the law of God still remains as the law, and we are to be subject to God's laws. All of them. Remember, Jesus said, listen, I didn't come here to undo the law. I came to fulfill the law. The law was never meant to save us. The law was always meant to let us tell the world. I mean, I, I can't meet these expectations. God said, that's exactly right. That's why you need me. That's why you need me. John ends this portion of his letter, seen in verse 10, by saying, this is how God's children and the devil's children are made evident. How? By willfully sinning against the law of God. Church, we as Christians may very well be able to rationalize small sins in our lives, and we do. We do, don't we? Eh, you know, I, I shouldn't have done that, but you know, I, 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 it's been such a long time. I mean, we rationalize it, don't we? But we can in no way give any rational excuse for breaking God's law. Can we fully keep God's law? Absolutely not. The law is meant for us to realize we can't please God apart from receiving His Son as our Savior. And we must claim Jesus as our Savior and try our very best to live for Him every single day. Now church, let me ask this in conclusion. Do you understand that you as a believer in Christ, you're a child of God? I mean, he looks at you the way you look at your children. He loves you the way you love your children. He administers discipline and grace to you as you are his children. Because you are his children. Does your life ref reflect that you take pride in who your real father is? And does this knowledge truly bring you joy? Because that's what it's supposed to do. We should just be so full of joy. I mean, listen, I'm a child of God. We sing that. That should bring us so much joy. That should bring us revival every day. I am a child of God. Let's all stand. Heads bowed and eyes closed. <clears throat> Father, we thank you for your word tonight.
We thank you for your love and we thank you for loving us. Lord, I, I am thankful that I am your child. I don't deserve it, Lord, but I am your child. Please forgive us where we fail you, Lord. Help us to feel your presence during this invitation. In Jesus' name, I do pray. With all heads bowed and all eyes closed, if you need to come and just spend some time with the Lord, the altar is open to you. Will you come?